Now, my story begins in 1962. We had to say dickity, cause the Kaiser had stolen our weird 20. I chased that rascal to get it back, but gave up after dickity six miles. <laughs> dickity, highly dubious. <laughs> This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 38 for the week of July 4th, 2011. I'm not David T. Cole, you are! I'm here with Barkin' Mad Joe Reed. <laughs> the yellow wallpaper, Tara Ariano. Freemasons around the country! We're also here with a cast of thousands on our very special Not a Crackpot episode. We have 16 items for your consideration Such an today. impressive turnout. It really Thank was, you, guys. everybody. And we haven't heard, Dave has obviously heard all these, but Joe and I have no, not. No, these will be new for us. So let's get right into it. Our first <laughs> one is one that uh, we requested from a friend of ours. So we let's did. get right into it. Jeff Alexander on the subject of cars. Dear Mr. President... There are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. My name is Jeff Alexander, and I am not a crackpot. I just think the movie Cars makes no sense. I have some questions. How much experimentation and screen testing did Pixar do with the car's windshield-based eyes, in terms of distance apart and size, <laughs> to arrive at the coefficient value of both guaranteed to provide maximum cuteness? I bet it was a lot. Somewhere in Emeryville, there's a Mac whose trash folder is stuffed with discarded versions of Lightning McQueen, looking like everyone from South Park characters to Brandy. <laughs> Why do all the cars have side and back windows if they can only see out their windshields? And how terrifying would it be if they had a 360-degree field of vision like you do in a real car? Remember that moment in the big tiebreaker race where McQueen catches up to Chick Hicks in reverse using his new mirrors? Would have been a completely different movie if we saw two humongous blue irises peering through the back window while his windshield went zombie white. What's inside a car's car? Seats and a dashboard and a steering wheel? Or gooey, squinchy brains and guts, like the interior of a new school Cylon Raider? Unfortunately, Sarge the Army Jeep keeps his canvas route buttoned up tight, so we never find out. And it's not like there are any motorcycles zooming around. Also, the bit where Minnie and Van lock their doors is funny, until you think about the fact that it means that up to this point in the movie, they've been driving around in a state that will allow any old vehicle to roll up to them, open a passenger door, and spill their prefrontal lobes and hypothalami right on onto the pavement. Of course, opening that door would require opposable thumbs, which of course none of the cars have. We've always been told that opposable thumbs are what allowed our species to rise from the primordial slime and ultimately build our towering civilization but apparently prehensile tires and windshield wipers would have worked as well. Early on, McQueen is disgusted to be passed on the highway by a van with a mattress tied to its roof. <laughs> okay, by this time we've already established that this is in a parallel universe with no humans in it, so who the fuck's going to be sleeping on that mattress anyway? The cars of cars inhabit a world where representations of car parts are everywhere. McQueen competes for the Piston Cup, a trophy shaped like a car's piston. Radiator Springs is an ornament valley, an area marked by giant <coughs> rock formations shaped like hood ornaments and radiator caps. Sally dreams of reopening the Wheelwell Hotel, a classy overnight spot for cars with a facade shaped like, obviously, a wheelwell. It's all cool to us, but if you were a car, wouldn't you find this a little macabre? 
Jeff Gordon doesn't race for the Aorta Cup. <laughs> a valley full of rock formations shaped like giant noses would creep everyone out, with or without a town nestled among them called Sweat Clan Springs. And can you imagine a high-end hotel calling itself the shoulder joint, let alone going out of its way to look like one? Finally, where do new cars come from in this universe? Mac uses the quasi-religious expression, thank the manufacturer at one point, which suggests some kind of celestial assembly line. But then there's a shot of two little baby cars at the big race which implies sexual reproduction, <laughs> as does McQueen's attraction to Sally. <laughs> At least they're late model cars, otherwise I'd have to call bullshit on the whole Enterprise. <laughs> but then many of the other characters are late model cars as well. McQueen, for instance, can't be more than a few years old, which fits with his level of emotional maturity, but not his successful career as a professional athlete. And I'm not even going to get into the question of how a van and a sedan like the Rusty's guys could be brothers. I'm just hoping Cars 2 answers some of these questions. <laughs> And yes, I know, I'm sure a lot of this is addressed in the DVD commentary, but my son hates those. Turn off the talking, he demands. And it's not like I'm going to sit through this movie again without him. Uh, Jeff wrote this for his own blog, Velcrometer, uh, three years ago. And when he wrote it, I was like, thank you, because I could <laughs> never put my finger on why I was so turned off by Cars, because I've seen literally every other Pixar movie. Yeah. And this one, for some reason, there was a barrier, and he just like laid it out. It's so great. So uh, thank you, Jeff, especially for re-recording that just just for this special episode. Absolutely, it's, it's pretty brilliant. Yeah. Dear Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. I am not a crackpot. I just think John Stewart is the worst thing about the Daily Show. Hear me out. Gasp. Hear me out. That's not saying he's bad. Uh-huh. It's more of a testament to how great the show is. Okay. okay. But my issue is. He has run his course as its host, I feel like. He mm. um, he has a lot of bad tics as a host. He gooses his own jokes a lot. He does the funny Italian voice. He just did it last night. Mm-hmm. Um, he's But although I will give him credit for that, he's not so vain that he won't... He's he's not so insecure that he won't surround himself with funnier people. True. All of whom... All this, the correspondents and the various commentators are stand-ups or sketch comics. All of whom I think are funnier than he is. But I feel like his self-righteousness slows down the show. And especially in the week after he has just been on um, Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace, and this has turned on to into a running thing where they keep revisiting it. It was in three episodes last week, and then it was again tonight, last yeah. night. Yeah, last night rather. We're recording this a week before you guys hear. By the way, <laughs> it's like he has to go on these shows and make the case like I'm not an activist, and then they'll go and throw a rally in D.C. Sure, yeah, you know, like I feel like the the show is getting infected with the clapter phenomenon that Tina Fey identified where it's like someone says something that you agree with and it's not necessarily funny or a joke but it's you're they're on your side so you're yeah. like yes yeah you know a lot of comedians the thing fall that into has this destroyed real time with Bill Maher and made it absolutely unwatchable sure okay. I never really watched it that much either but okay. but other comedians that have fallen into that I feel like are David Cross more so just getting on stage and yelling not so much making jokes Janine uh, Garofalo another one uh, Kathy Griffin is even yeah. drifting over no, to that I area. I would agree. I love her, but I do too. It's but like make some, write some jokes. Yes, you know yes. you can't just pander to your base, and that's yeah. all that the it's Daily Show has been diminishing does. returns for Kathy for a while. Yes, and I feel like you know if John Stewart wants to make this case, most recently on Fox News that he's not a comedian, he's not an act, an advocate. He's a comedian. What was that episode that was like all nine eleven responders about? What was devoting an entire segment of just talking sadly about the Gabrielle Giffords? shooting you know like it's not that this is invalid but if it's only a comedy show more comedy less preaching maybe um 
And I also feel like he has he gives off an attitude of being too cool for school. And when he's followed by Stephen Colbert, who is obviously game for anything and a total goof and more of a comic actor, the contrast between them does not favor Jon Stewart. That said, I still watch it every single night. <laughs> it's not that it's a bad show. It's just that he's the weakest part of it, yeah. in my opinion. If I have to hear Jon Stewart do his imitation of uh, Professor Frank doing his imitation of Jerry Lewis one more time, I will put a bullet through my brain. It is like he goes to it so often and yes. it's not funny when anybody does it. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I I can get behind this one. He's just not. He doesn't have a huge I amount of I can get behind range. this one with, with, with the proviso that, yes, it's still very watchable and he's Absolutely. like perhaps the weakest link of a very, very strong chain. Yes. But if Larry Wilmore were the host of The Daily Show every night, it would, I feel like it would be a stronger show. Mm. It's hard to say how much Jon Stewart's DNA is in though, like the production and writing of the Absolutely. show. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think also I might make a very short case for the fact that I think in the hands of any of the other people who are correspondents, the mm-hmm. show becomes less grounded in... I feel like that seriousness at its center does help it in terms... Now, I, I can't quite speak on the whole thing because I don't watch it very often. I will watch it when something, you know, a link gets passed around very much in the same way I watch Late Night. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like if the host of that were were any less... had any less sort of gravitas to it, if it was just sort of like silly making fun of stuff... Mm-hmm. I wouldn't enjoy it as much. I'm just speaking for me. I guess. I'm not saying that he has to be more silly. I wish he would dial down the, you know, voice of a nation attitude. Yeah, I can see that. Because totally he can that. either be the voice of a nation or he can be a comedian and he wants to have it both ways all the time and it bugs me. All right. <laughs> he also does the thing, I forgot one last <laughs> final thing. Every time he has a right wing guest on for the interview segment, he does this thing where he's got a gotcha question and he like works it up to them and it's he sneaks it on them and then he does this thing where he just leans back and like usually covers his mouth and just gives them the huge like uh-huh. Muppet eyes. It's like, all right. You, you, that's that's like another stock move. Yeah. yeah. It's, that it's, said, he's still gotta... a better interviewer than Colbert is. Hmm. Yeah. Colbert's interviews are terrible. Well, Do not he's doing that. it in in character. Yep. That's, that's why a discussion for another. <laughs> that's a discussion for another day. Dear Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. Our next segment is from previous uh, guest Adam Grossworth. Hey guys, so when I was on the show, we talked about the Book of Mormon on Broadway, and there was some news last week, week before, that uh, the Book of Mormon cast recording is on the Billboard chart, which hasn't happened for a Broadway musical in a very long time. And that's really exciting, and people are talking about musical theater a lot lately, uh, with the Tony Awards and Company and Spider-Man, and and that's all really fantastic. But here's the thing, all these people (laughs) keep referring to Broadway soundtracks. Broadway cast recordings are not called soundtracks. They are called cast recordings or cast albums. I'm not a crackpot (laughs) because the soundtrack is an actual thing in a movie. It's true. When movies are on film, there's an actual strip of tape where the audio comes from that runs next to the film that makes the pictures. And that is called the soundtrack. And that is why movies have soundtracks and musicals, live musicals have cast recordings, or cast albums. And you can put, you know, an adjective in front because there might be multiple productions of a show that get recorded. So you could have a Broadway cast recording or an original Broadway cast recording and then a revival and then the London cast album. Um, I realize that a rational person might say (laughs) that uh, because film is actually mostly not on film anymore, there's no 
physical, literal soundtrack anymore, and I should let it go, and just accept that the word has changed its meaning, and these things are all soundtracks, except they're not. <laughs> Broadway shows have cast albums or cast recordings. Movies and TV shows have soundtracks. A movie of a Broadway musical has a soundtrack because it's a movie, <laughs> but the cast getting into a studio and recording numbers from the show and putting them out is called a cast album or a cast recording. I am not a crackpot. I will learn it, live it, and love it. Yeah, I very, would agree with that. That's a very convincing case. That was a well-argued point. I also love in the middle the, I know a rational person wouldn't whatever. Like That's not what this episode no, is No, this is not about <laughs> rational people at all. You don't it's have to justify title. yourself no, here. No, of course not. <laughs> uh, it is a little things in life, isn't it? And, uh, you know, I'm like, I wouldn't deny you this as Adam, as much as I would not deny myself the pleasure of getting mad when somebody calls Star Wars a new hope. Uh, the little things. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I think this is on the same level. Mm-hmm. That's true. Dear Mr. President, <laughs> there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. Hey guys, Robbie from Austin, Texas checking in to say that I am not a crackpot for believing that the new Muppet movie will be the rebirth of awesome pop culture. We'll be able to, as a country, move away from Jersey Shore and Hoarders because the Muppets will have reminded us of how awesome pop culture used to be. Now, nostalgia is never quite as awesome as it was the first time. There's no way this new Muppet movie will be as beloved as The Muppet Show or the first Muppet movie. But when they've taken nostalgic things from our childhood, G.I. Joe, Transformers, they always make it real and serious and just sort of take out the fun, or they dumb it down like Smurfs. Where I think the Muppets are going to succeed is that they haven't tried to evolve into something to match today's audiences, like they do with the Looney Tunes sometimes. They're going to remain relevant as long as they stay who they are. They've always tried to appeal to adults and kids. If I say Manabana or Pigs in Space, you know what I'm talking about. And they've always commented on pop culture with their skits, their songs, and the parodies from the Muppet Show days, and they're continuing that today with the Bohemian Rhapsody videos and those webisodes. So at the very least, I hope the new Muppet movie can bring back cleaner and wittier humor to television and movies and will move away from raunchy sarcasm, the most comedy is. But it won't be endearing unless they remain who they are. And if Jason Segel and the guys forget that, then it's going to be Paul Rubens in his Pee Wee Herman suit all over again. Still, I'm not a crackpot for believing that the new Muppet movie is going to be the start of the pop culture renaissance. Um, I can't really get behind this particular <laughs> one because I just like, I think it's a wait and see thing. I, I don't yeah. Have, but... I will say that I think maybe he buried the I am not a crackpot lead here. <laughs> Which is? He thinks that the Smurfs were smart at some point in time. <laughs> that they have been subsequently dumbed down. Or G.I. Joe. <laughs> well, We watched a lot of G.I. Joe. I wouldn't say it was smart no, or fun. No. But in the new one, I did hear that they ran Brainy Smurf out of town for being too highfalutin. <laughs> yeah, right. So. Robbie, I hope that you're right and that your prediction comes true and that you enjoy the movie very much, but I do not plan to see it. You'll be watching Hoarders. I will be watching Hoarders. (laughs) That's true. Dear Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. Okay, I am not a crackpot. I just believe that you should only watch one USA show at a time. Explain. Um, I don't mean... There should only be one show from the USA Network on your DVR at a time. I don't. Nor mean... do you mean you should have two TVs side by side and only. <laughs> I don't. Okay. No, Go this on. isn't a thing about focusing your eyeballs. I get in you. one place, although that is also important. <laughs> that will cause cross-eyedness, just like getting kicked by a horse would. And as a further clarification, <laughs> yeah. you talk about American television. 
Uh, I'm talking about shows on the USA Network. Oh, interesting. Yes. Um, and you will get to that soon enough. Um, this sort of started for me, I, I used to watch Burn Notice, um, which is a perfectly fine show. I never really became disillusioned with it. I just one day stopped watching. Yeah, mm-hmm. we had the exact same yep. experience. And then I started watching a show called In Plain Sight with uh, oh. Mary McCormick, and I thought that was also perfectly fine, and I had no problems with it. Mm-hmm. That only lasted a few months, though, because of a show called White Collar, yeah. which had all the seemingly sort of fun and lightness of a USA show, but also had Matthew Bomer looking mm-hmm. really good in suits and hats. Do you want to just give a, a hat tip to your sub non-crackpot theory specifically about White Collar? Oh, what is that? That um, Tim Decay, Matthew Bomer, and <gasps> Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> my, also, my sub crackpot theory about White Collar is that it all should be winding to a point where Bomer's character, Tim Decay's character, and Tiffany Thiessen should all get into a polyamorous relationship yep. and live happily ever after. Yeah, who, could, uh, who could argue with that? The chemistry is there, people. It really is. In all th- three combinations. All three of them. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's a three-way... Uh, Chemistry going on. Yep. Okay, so I've stuck with White Collar. Um, I like it. I've considered other USA shows have sort of seemed halfway interesting. Covert Affairs, eh, maybe. Uh, this one, New One Suits, looks kind of interesting. But if I started watching those, I would have to stop <laughs> watching White Collar. Not wait until the season's over and then finish watching White Collar. Right, no, right. you need to cut all ties. Right. There is only, it's like... It's you like my theory about Scientologists, where you can like one at yes. a time. Yes. Okay, here's where I, how I would describe it. You wouldn't take a multivitamin and then take <laughs> another multivitamin. You've already got 100% of all your vitamins and minerals. You don't need 200% of your vitamins and minerals. White collar is everything you need. Or if, whatever, psych is your thing, where you're still like in burn notice or, right. you know, what, uh, Royal pains. You're you're curious about I, this uh, necessary. I have another perhaps affair. Like, yeah. uh, analogy that uh, taps into recent uh, discussion, which is you don't need to watch wacky races if you're already watching Laugh Olympics. <laughs> See, <laughs> one will do you because they're basically the same show, <laughs> right? The yeah. same formula, right? Yes, yes. So. Um, I used to have a similar theory about seasons of The Real Housewives. Sure. That that was sort of like, that was one where you could only watch one per season. Yes. And then they flipped the script on me and put New Jersey and New York on the same season. So yep. I had to, I had to nix that one. Right. But uh, yeah, USA shows, you only need one. Yeah. And White Collar is a really good one. So I would recommend that. Dear Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. I am not a crackpot. The USA Network logo is a man getting a BJ from a dolphin. Explain. If you look at the logo. (laughs) The U. And you just look at the printed stuff and not the negative space. The U is the midsection of a guy with his dong hanging out. And the A is a dolphin going in for the fun. Thrill? (laughs) If that doesn't make sense to you, don't worry. I've illustrated it. Yes, yes. Yeah, so go to the site, it's see it, and remember, once you see it, it cannot be unseen. It really can. No. Dear Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. Hey, extra hot great folks. It's Taylor from Chicago here to say why I am not a crackpot. 
When discussing the Matt Damon episode of Will and Grace, you guys mentioned one of the movies during Matt Damon's blue period, I guess you could call it, to be Titan AE, the 2000 animated slash computer animated movie about a dying human race and their search to find a new home after Earth. The movie was indeed a commercial flop to the point where it caused 20th Century Fox to shut down their animation <laughs> studios and has now mostly fallen by the wayside. I am not, however, a crackpot for saying that this movie is better than its lack of success would indicate, and that this movie, regardless of opinions, should have more of a cult following behind it than it does. Addressing the latter, the DNA of this movie has cultiness written all over it. As writers, you've got both Joss Whedon and Ben Edlund. This movie's not only ripe with classic Whedon-y dialogue, but features a key stage development of his plan to create a ragtag group of heroes on a spaceship, something he failed miserably with in Alien Resurrection, and ultimately did best with Firefly and Serenity. Combine that with the post-Earth wandering in space plot, and fans of Firefly should be flocking to this movie, and yet it is often dismissed as a nothing film. Ben Edlund, who makes amazing contributions to Titan AE as well, additionally inspires cultiness being the creator of the beloved character The Tick, as well as having written all the best episodes of Supernatural. And even though Tara hates the puppet episode of Angel written by Ben Edlund, most Angel fans absolutely love it, bringing Joss Whedon back into the picture. Combine this with the fact that it was directed by Don Bluth of An American Tale, All Dogs Go to Heaven, and The First Land Before Time, and it's a miracle that more young fans of these people now are not discovering and becoming enthralled with Titan A.E. I'm not asking the world to love this movie like I do, despite the groundbreaking and unique visual style, stellar side characters, and hilariously touching voice performances from Nathan Lane, Janine Garofalo, and John Leguizamo, just to name a few, but I do contend that it should have a larger fan base than it does, especially given its writers, and should be a movie that comes up in more discussions than just Matt Damon's commercial flops. Thanks for hearing me out. Love the podcast. Thanks. Uh, Tara, I believe you have a uh, point of order. Well, the first is that I wasn't the one that hated the puppet episode of that Angel. That was me. That was Joe. I want the credit for hating the puppet <laughs> episode of Angel. That's the only episode of Angel I've ever seen. The set, but, just, but I will say, since I'm on the mic, mentioning John Leguizamo's great voice work is not a <laughs> selling point for this yeah, movie for hands me. Hands in the air, who saw this movie in the theater? You know, I in thought the we did, but then we didn't. I did. I thought you did? Oh, yeah. Not with I you, but... No, I yeah. never saw it. Um, so it's my, no Fern Gully, the last. <laughs> what is? It's no Warriors of Virtue. What? I don't even know what that is. What? Remember the, Warriors of Virtue? The, the kangaroo kangaroo movie. Yeah. The, the Tank Girl spinoff. Yes. Oh, Not really, but Not it should really. be. Oh. Um, so Titan A for me is sort of like a footnote, and I don't really think just because it has people that went on to do good stuff in it that it necessarily deserves to have cult status. I mean, the cult movie, you know, is all about how it works on its own sake you know whether it is um an unaware comedy because mm-hmm. it took itself too seriously or whether it's an aware tongue-in-cheek thing that everybody likes um it has to have a level of quality on some level and titan ae was just sort of like an oatmeal muddy kind of a little bit star wars a little bit we tried the animation too soon it doesn't really look all that great kind of yeah. you know overreach kind of like the last starfighter you know that kind of mm. area so um, I, I, I can't really get behind this crackpot. Uh, I, I, I guess it would be an inter- interesting anthropological exercise for Whedonites. But uh, beyond sure. that, I uh, really don't see it. Yeah, it killed a lot of careers. Over it did it, kill uh, a lot of careers. Yeah. But if you got two hours to blow, hey, go nuts. <laughs> Dear Mr. President, 
There are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. All right, this one comes from Elizabeth. I am not a crackpot. I just think that television shows should not include insane cliffhangers in their season finales. Mostly because I just think it's kind of mean. I mean, it's bad enough when you're watching a regular episode of your show and something dramatic happens at the end and you have to wait an entire week to find out what happened. But when they do it in the season finale and you have to wait like three or four months before you get any kind of resolution, that's just not nice. And I don't really understand the point of it, because if you enjoy a show and you like watching it, then you're probably going to go ahead and tune in to the new season when it starts. And if you're on the fence or you're on your way out with a show, uh, I don't think a cliffhanger is going to turn the tide on that. What's most likely going to happen is you'll tune into the season premiere to see how everything all worked out and then bail. And this doesn't even take into consideration shows that have an insane cliffhanger when they're on the bubble and they don't even know if they're going to be renewed, because that's just asinine. I mean, I guess people think that having a big cliffhanger might scare the network into renewing them because they don't want to leave everything unresolved. But uh, as we've seen pretty much in the past, that never, ever works. And it just pisses off everybody who watched the show. So people who make shows, do us all a favor and just wrap things up at the end of the season. Uh, as a fan of Alias, I'm going to say no to this. Uh, they did really good cliffhangers. They well, they really, had a cliffhanger on every episode. They had a cliffhanger on every episode and also the season cliffhangers. Well, there's like the question motherfuckers. of, they were crazy. are you writing a cliffhanger because you can't think of a good way to keep people cap- well, captivated, right? Yeah, it's not, they, they, they're not always done well. Yeah. I would even venture to say they're done more poorly than they are. Mm-hmm. They're done well. It's, but when they're done well... Man. Yeah, absolutely. They're really, I mean, it's like anything on TV. When you do it really, really well, it packs a punch. I really enjoy the, uh, it's just not nice. <laughs> I know. Which is fair, but yeah. it also, you know, it's it sort of makes you question, like, what is a TV show trying to do as an art form? Yep. You know, mm-hmm. it, you wouldn't want a book that ended with a cliffhanger, but right. a TV show is not the same as a book, right? right. It's a story that spans over seasons. So mm-hmm. I think it's fair for a story to start in season three and end in season four. It brings up an issue that we were going to make a whole segment once upon a time, but it kind of got lost in our notes which was um, the benefits of watching certain uh, television shows as a marathon on DVD versus watching it week to week in Mm -hmm. real time and I think if this crackpot theory hits home with you then maybe uh, you're a candidate for um, waiting you know stealing up manning up just waiting the year yeah. through so that you can watch the whole thing in one shebang or watch two seasons yeah. or whatever I also I feel like this is sort of timely in the wake of the killing and everybody mm-hmm. being very upset with yeah. the killing and I feel like thinking of Alias versus the killing I understand the anger with the killing whereas that cliffhanger happened in the middle of a story that they weren't finished telling whereas in Alias most of those cliffhangers were they ended a story they began something sort of off of the rebound bounce of that story yes. and then they cut you off on something thrilling. So right. I feel like more of a that teaser one, than a cliffhanger. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So it's like you 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 know you're freaking out when whatever Sydney wakes up two years later in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. but uh, you still feel you got the resolution to 
the story from whatever the previous three or four. Yeah, I mean, I think even Lost had at the end of the first Lost season that was mind blowing for me. Like when they, you know, they finally get the hatch open and they look out. And I know that there are people who are like, well, we should have seen what was in the hatch in that episode. I did feel kind of let down by that one. I yeah. never did. I thought that yeah. was great. But I, but also in a totally different example is how many seasons of Friends ended with a cliffhanger like Rachel goes to meet Ross uh, at the airport. What's going to happen? Or didn't they do two consecutive seasons where the one was Rachel goes to meet Ross and he has a girlfriend and and the other one is Ross goes to meet Rachel and she has a boyfriend. Or am I no. misremembering? <laughs> you are misremembering. I'm sorry. You are. <laughs> that was just, just no. You're uh, okay. I, I don't want to have a friends fight with you. No, but no. I know better than that. <laughs> That's right. No, you do, but yeah, um, I think you're right, Dave. That it's a temperament thing. It's it's more about what you like as a viewer versus what producers and it is hard to wait everyone. when there is something about a show you like yeah but you're annoyed by sort of you know mm-hmm. that kind of stuff it can't be hard to wait but if you can do it maybe you'll like the show more yeah. maybe you won't be in your rocking chair looking at the tv this point. That's <laughs> can't wait for nice. three more months yeah <laughs> dear mr president there are too many states nowadays please eliminate three i am not a crackpot Hey guys, my name is Jamie and I've been dying to get this I am not a crackpot rant off of my chest. I hope you agree with me. I am not a crackpot because I firmly believe that Netflix should allow you to rate seasons of TV shows individually and not as one holistic grade. They used to allow you to do this, but I guess in order to make the recommendation system easier and to allow them to give you more accurate suggestions, they've now made it just one grade for an entire show. So if you use something like The Office as a test case, obviously there's a huge difference in quality between seasons one, in which they were mostly trying to mimic the original British series, and season two, when the show really embraced its own rhythms and became a great show on its own right. And then, of course, there are variations like season five, which recovered a bit from season four, and then the kind of problems, we'll say, that have afflicted season six and seven. How are you supposed to account for all of these nuances in grading if you can only give the show one one rating at, with a five-star recommendation system? It just doesn't make sense to me. I want them to go back to the original. Please tell me that I am not a crackpot. Thank you. You are not a crackpot. No. This is the kind, I don't, Jamie, I don't know if you've listened back to the very early episodes of this show where I talked about my method with setting my DVR and the nerd book. Mm-hmm. But this, this discussion, that, this issue that you just raised is the kind of hardcore TV tech nerdery yes. that I identify with and yes. I support. Um, and you're absolutely right. We used to see this problem on TWAP when we used to allow people to rate the episodes. It really is pointless if you're giving them a, a rec, you know, because once you average it out, you either love it or hate it, and every yeah. episode pretty much gets that, a B minus. And that brings me to my point, which is recommendation engines really break down when you hit a certain number of people, mm-hmm. which is why now the trend in the internet generally is recommendations from circles of people that yeah. you identify yeah. closely with. That could be. For example, people on Facebook that you're friends with or your Twitter list or perhaps uh, a group, right? You're basically dealing with uh, recommendations from friends and sort of like, you know, like restaurants, right? I mean, you can have 5,000 great recommendations for, you know, McDonald's or whatever, but, you know. Like, it's not that great of a yeah. place for food, really. Uh, <laughs> right. Okay, here's the point, I'm right? Just kidding. Um, yes. Once you have 5,000 people recommending yeah. a show, you're yeah. going to end up inevitably with something in between a C plus and a, and a like a, a B plus, right? Yeah. Like, that was our experience yep. at Television with Pity, which is. 
basically after a show has been on for about a month or two, the ratings would always be B minus or something because some people love it. Some people hate it. People vote things just to give them five stars. People vote things just give one star because they got either, you know, an ax to grind or a point to prove. Yeah. Yeah. Very rarely does someone go on to be like to give a very considered B Mm -hmm. grade, which is why I recommend, uh, you know, I identify with this as well, mm-hmm. but I would say if ratings and recommendations are important to you, consider the sample group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would also just say that I feel like with TV, I think the ideal format for evaluation is by season. I yeah, think you can I you can judge episode by episode. Yes. That's one way. But I feel like for me, the ultimate way that I judge TV is by complete seasons. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That's a really good point. Yeah. Dear Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. I think this one is a little bit related to our last one. Hi, guys. This is Sean coming from Philadelphia. I've been a fan of you guys ever since. I've wrote an entire term paper based solely off of your recaps on Mighty Big TV of The Sopranos and The West Wing. My non-crackpot theory has to do with the TiVo suggestion engine. When I first got the TiVo, I thought it would be somewhere along the lines of Amazon and Netflix and that you would use the recommendations for the TiVo to record other things based off of your thumbs up or thumbs down choices. For example, if you selected a movie that you liked, the TiVo would record other things based off of your recommendation. That's not the case. As someone who made the faulty decision to actually like Fletch, the (laughs) TiVo has a tendency to record... Uh, Fletch every three days. That is a problem in the sense that I don't want to watch Fletch again. (laughs) But I do want TiVo to make other recordings based off of my decision. There needs to be some type of way to separate that button. And TiVo has decided to not address it for the last five or six years. Ever since people have wanted that to happen. This is important and it needs to be changed. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Sean. Um... Has anybody here, I know we're all on Time Warner here, but yeah. has anybody yeah, ever had, had a TiVo? TiVo? No. no. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit aware of it from yeah. being at friends' Yeah, friends yeah, yeah. That's house. kind of shocking to me that, like, in, in his example, you've seen Fletch. Why do we need right. Fletch twice more okay. in the same week? Like, Well, Dave's looking at me because I've, <laughs> I've been known to record Whip It every single time it's on HBO. That's true. Well, and we have it on Blu-ray as And we well. do have it's it It's not Blu-ray. like you can't watch it at any moment. Look, I put it on while I'm working. This yeah. is a, I know I raised it, but this is not a point. But I think this goes back to the other one, which is, you know, if you want a uh, recommend. Now, he's not talking about recommendations from other people. He's right. talking about, I want good recommendations based on what I'm watching. Yes. But the way that those are generated computationally yes. is looking at other people's recommendations that have liked Fletch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have also liked uh, Caddyshack, let's say, yeah. or whatever. But also they like the entire run of Saturday Night Live, you know, season three or whatever. And mm-hmm. it, was, you know, it was not. So it's the same problem, which is yep. you're going, you're outsourcing your recommendations to this giant oatmeal-y B-plus group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... We feel your pain, Sean. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think you should get more for your TiVo since you have to, like, pay for it. Yeah. And beyond yeah everything seriously. Else you're doing. So, yeah, I, I agree with him so far. Smarten up, TiVo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dear Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. Hi, guys. My name's Angie, and I am not a crackpot, but I think that if you're carrying around a liquid receptacle in a TV show, there should be some damn liquid in it. (laughs) 
Case in point and a big offender to me for this is Cougar Town. Mm. And on Cougar Town, quite often the girls are walking around with, let's face it, Starbucks cups. And they are swinging cups around as if there is no liquid in them because there is no liquid in them. (laughs) Which is fine. I understand that you need to do that because it makes it easier to film. However, as a viewer, every damn time it takes me out of this show... And all I can think about is there's nothing in that stupid cup. You just bought that cup of coffee and there's nothing in the damn cup. <laughs> I am not a crackpot. No. But if you're carrying around a cup with liquid in it, it should actually have liquid in it. Yeah. You are, you are not a crackpot. No. This is fucking genius. We were coming out of um, the Conan O'Brien movie on Sunday and Dave was already out checking his email and said, I just got a crackpot. I haven't listened to it yet, but it said cup should have liquid. And we were like, oh, that's the smartest thing we ever heard. It's been a pet peeve of mine yeah. forever. It's just physics. Just put, just put water put in water it. In it. We understand it. Have some it can't be hot. What happened in the Hollywood history of props <laughs> that this... So what did right. somebody right. have hot coffee right. and died? Right. Or is it a thing like it's possible <laughs> that we hired somebody so stupid yeah. that they're going to spill water on their shirt and then we're going to have to do a wardrobe well, change and that's going to cost us an extra seventy dollars? Which but put case, tape inside the plastic lid so that nothing can flop. Exactly. exactly. In the, I mean, in we, the example she's given, these are Starbucks cups right. with lids. Like, right. there is no downside. To right. This. And when she said the biggest offender, I swear to God, I thought she was going to say Gilmore Girls because they did it all the time. Oh. too. Ooh. That was another show with a lot of coffee. And you don't drinking. have to even see the liquid. No. You can put rocks at the bottom of the They what? never even drink from it. All they have to do is put it to their lips. Can I give credit to one show that does it right? Yes. Is Weeds. Because Mary Louise Parker will You're walk right. around with an actual, if it's not iced coffee, there's something in it. It's yeah. a clear cup. You can see it. Yeah. She's sipping from it. Well, if the stoners well, that make weeds cup. can do it. I mean, they don't it. try and give you empty wine glasses either. The no, issue but is... what I'm saying is they could have gone with giving her something in a, you know, filled cup and whatever. Right. Like, they take the time to make it realistic. <laughs> sure they do. Okay. And if the stoners who make weeds do it, certainly <laughs> everybody else can. Excellent, excellent yes. submission, Angie. Really good. Oh, my God. Smarten up, Hollywood. Yeah, seriously. Dear Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. I'm not a crackpot. I just think there has never been a truly great superhero movie. Yes! Hear me out! <laughs> Hear me out! Um, admittedly, I'm not the target audience because I'm not a boy and I never read superhero comic books. And it would be one thing if all the comic book movies were in the Fantastic Four slash Green Lantern mold where, you know, they're sort of dopey and silly and basically for children so that it's easier for the audience to forget or overlook that their powers are totally arbitrary and make no sense. But then Jack Nicholson was in the original Batman and suddenly we were supposed to all start taking them so seriously as entertainment for adults. And that's where the problem started, because they only got a million times worse after that with the, you know, especially the extremely ponderous Batman Begins, which I know everyone loves. I didn't like it. Super boring. And the sequel, which was overpraised. okay, better, still way too long, had huge tone problems. And each one makes so much money because they're critic proof. And they have a built-in audience immediately, and they can be sold overseas, so they just keep coming. Not just film vehicles for fifth-tier heroes like Thor, but rebooting something like Spider-Man, which is a movie franchise, is less than 10 years old. I mean, seriously, guys. It's really excessive. Um, And because they have to be PG-13, 
The one thing where you could have gotten me is if it was, uh, if they all contained amazing, super violent conflagrations, but they never do. They're always toned down. And then you end up with something with a finale that has no stakes, like the terrible ending of Iron Man 2, which boiled down to someone turn off all those robots. (laughs) So even at their best, superhero movies are so goofy at their core that they can only be at the best at best. Okay. And as a society, we should stop supporting them. So the studios stop making them. Wow, that came out of nowhere. (laughs) That's maybe a little too far. But I think you take my point. Uh, I don't know. I think dark, like, okay, let me ask you this question. Yes. Uh, There's been no truly great superhero movie. Like, what, what's the comparison? Like, what are we, like, like Godfather kind of stuff? Is that what we're saying? No, I'm saying even like... Or a, just within its vertical. I don't think vertical. there's ever been an... Yes, in its vertical. I don't think there's ever been a superhero movie that's as good as an action movie as, for example, Die Hard. Oh, disagree. Yeah, I disagree too. Okay. I mean, I, did, I, I Dark Knight for me is like the best superhero movie probably. Um, and I think... I agree with you that it felt a little long, um, but it still was really satisfying and didn't fall into the other traps that you're talking about, about superhero movies that it was sort of goofy juvenile, a guy with like incredible superpowers that, I mean, it's a guy that dresses up like a bat and beats up people with gadgets. That's what I mean by tone problems that even a movie like, like the dark Knight, which I totally see where they're going with it. mm -hmm. And I appreciate that they're trying to get a, that trying to put this ridiculous premise in a real world setting. Yeah. It's like neither fish nor fowl for me. Like mm. it's neither it's not enough of one or the other. It's like in this weird nether world where, where it doesn't well, quite work. Well, I, I think on, then on you got to you got to take this crackpot back, which is <laughs> you just don't like comic books. I don't think that's true. I, think I have it is. liked comic book movies, just not superhero movies. I love Ghost World. Yeah, okay, but that's okay. But I love Sin City. Okay, just kidding. I did. Fine. Not. I hate Let's it. take it back and say that the superhero concept just doesn't work for you. Um, you you will find it inherently goofy slash dumb not real enough um because there's never going to be a guy that can do otherworldly things right that you're gonna say that was a that with that i'm behind that concept okay but batman doesn't do otherworldly things uh-huh. he's so i don't think he falls into that i don't think he he's exempt in your caveat okay and I thought Super, the movie Super, was actually really interesting and weird. Yeah. And I thought it was more successful, certainly, than Green Lantern as a well, piece of filmmaking. Yeah. Right. Green Lantern's setting the bar pretty low. Or, or <laughs> Thor. All right. Well, I can't get behind this yeah, one. I, I, think, got, I, think I didn't expect that there would be. I no. said there was one. I, I said before we started this, I have one that I think people will sort of get and one where I'm going to yeah. be out on my own. Oh, yeah. No, Obviously, we you know are which out one in the world is in this, this one, I <laughs> No, the second X-Men movie for me is... I yeah, think, that's best. another great example. I barely and I know people who really, really loved the second Spider-Man movie, too. So. Wow, Dear are you serious? Mr. President, yeah. there are too Oof. many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. Hi, uh, extra hot great people. Uh, this is TV's Todd. Um, I just uh, wanted to weigh in on this crackpot thing. <laughs> uh, I, I am very passionate about this. I feel that the studio heads... Uh, of all the major studios in in Hollywood need to get together, have a roundtable discussion, come up with millions upon millions of dollars, uh, and then they need to contact (laughs) NASA and develop a time machine and create sort of a new uh, or or, or a real-life team of time cops. Yep. Uh, But they don't go and stop criminals or anything. What they need to do is go back in time and uh, stop 
people from spewing hatred if they're in the entertainment industry, uh, especially if they're in entertainments that I really enjoy. For example, it would be nice if the time cops could go back and, and tell Tracy Morgan to shut up so it, it, it doesn't make uh, 30 Rock a, a newly tainted experience for me. Um, and, you know, while they're at it, they could go back and, and uh, stop Michael Richards from uh, going off on, on that heckler in the way he did uh, so I can continue to enjoy episodes uh, or reruns of Seinfeld, which I can't really do anymore. And, uh, and, and also, you know, Mel Gibson. They can go back and tell Mel Gibson not to do all that nonsense he did because I want to watch The Road Warrior again. Yeah. And I find it really hard to look at it. Oh, and Schwarzenegger. They could go back and they could stop Schwarzenegger from becoming a governor uh, and, and, and cheating on his wife and all that nonsense so I can go back and enjoy Commando again without feeling dirty. I mean, I, I, I love these things, and I, I don't want... I, I am not a crackpot. <laughs> wow, you really feel his anguish. Yes. Um, so I think this is a sneaky one. Yeah. Okay. I think he is um, giving us a decidedly non-crackpotian <laughs> premise. That yes. is that, sure. you know, it would be nice if, you know, the racist people in Hollywood weren't so racist <laughs> so they continue to enjoy the products that are in yes. I agree However, with that. <laughs> You see what he did, though? He wrapped it all in a delicious crack potty and time machine <laughs> yes, premise. He did. He did. Sneaking sly. in on technicality. That's sly. Yeah. So I can get behind this, and I appreciate... <laughs> Only a true television <laughs> professional could pull that off. Exactly. Right. And if you don't know, TV Todd Anderson is one-third of the Film Pigs. Yes. Also including uh, Stephen, Stephen Falk, Falk, who's who, on our past show. Past guest of the show. Yeah, uh, filmpigs.com. Yes, they have a podcast, too, which is, is great. Excellent. I would And I would add to his examples, uh, I wish the time cops could go back in time and stop Roman Polanski from raping that girl. Oh, yeah, that'd be nice. Um... And while they were at it, they might as well just go a little f- even further back than that and stop Charles Manson from killing his wife. Mm-hmm. But uh, And also stop Alec Baldwin from leaving that really, really mean message on his daughter's yeah. answering machine. Because we don't and talk also, about that that very much anymore, but that was an ugly chapter yep. in that guy's life. And also five years from now, traveling back to now and keeping him from running for mayor of New York. <laughs> <laughs> and cu- traveling back to five minutes ago to stop me doing that superhero rant, yeah. right, Joe? Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah that's right. right. <laughs> Dear Mr. President... There are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. Hello, Extra Hot Great. I'm Omar G, and I am not a crackpot. I'm just someone who can't watch TV or DVDs without closed captioning. My wife and I used to have a crappy center speaker and always had a hard time hearing dialogue in movies, so we would turn on the captioning. Then we started turning them on all the time, even when the sound was fine. You know what? It's better. It just is. When Matt Saracen mumbles on Friday Night Lights, we get a written account of every syllable. When I watch Archer, I can actually make out what the Pirate Virus song lyrics are without going online. But what happens when a guest comes over and tries to watch SNL? They're like, why do you have the words on the screen? Because we're promoting literacy. (laughs) When people call and ask what we're doing, we don't have to say, we've been watching TV for three hours. We can say, we're reading. In a movie theater, lack of captions isn't really an issue. The sound is so loud and the screen is so big, you're not likely to miss anything. But at home with the sound low because the kids are asleep and the washing machine going and the air conditioning humming and various body noises happening that married couples put out all the time, we're turning on closed captioning. I invite everyone else to do the same. Thank you. I'd just like to say this to Omar. I think think you need to have your hearing checked, Omar, because it sounds like you're having some problems in your house. I I also should be the one to slightly shamefacedly admit that I'm the guy who puts on closed captioning when I'm watching something exceedingly British, and I have a little trouble parsing the accents. We should go. (laughs) 
Um, but not for regular stuff. Regular especially American not Saturday stuff. Night Live when it's live. Those are the worst captions Ooh, there ever yes. are. That's like putting on captions for like sporting events. Uh, yeah, or the news. Like yeah. every time I'm at the gym, there's you know there's a million TVs and they have the captions on. It's there's nothing more irritating, even with mm. stuff that's recorded. Yeah. Maybe I would like to see what the millionaire matchmaker is up to between pages of my New Yorker magazine, but the captions are always terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would find that incredibly frustrating. Yeah. It's not like DVD captions either, especially with no. that I can see if you have a hearing problem, sure. evidently. That's, yes. Obviously. I mean, and yes, of course, obviously, for everybody. If you have, But yeah. if you have a hearing problem, you're probably not listening to this podcast. Hmm. I'm just saying, in Omar's case, DVD commentary, okay. Those are like proper subtitles, but closed captions on live broadcasts there or are- TV broadcasts are so ugly two instances in which i want to see closed captioning on my screen one is metal metalocalypse yes because it's death thrash metal and they yes. sing and yes. actually the lyrics are pretty funny for these things yes because okay. we watched the whole season yes. and then we watched it again on dvd and i accidentally had the closed captioning track on yep. it and then great. we figured out what everything was and it's actually it was really much funny yeah. uh, the second time i want to see closed captioning and i can't believe this isn't a standard feature is when i press mute I would like the closed yes. captioning to pop up. Some TVs, oh, they the do have that. That's why I was talking about at sporting events. You'll go to a bar and they'll have yeah. whatever TVs and they'll have put it on mute and the captioning automatically pops up and that's why it's super annoying and you wish that they could figure out their TVs and have it not do that. And obviously the third case is if you're watching TV with a hearing impaired person because you're not yes. a jerk. Dear Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. Okay, I'm not a crackpot. I just resent the Critics' Choice Television Awards for being able to make up a fake <laughs> award to give to Busy Phillips before I got the chance to do the same. Um, little background on this. So the uh, Critics' Choice are the broadcast, uh, in this case, Television Critics Association. They are a spinoff of the Broadcast Film Critics Association, who've been around for a while, and they basically exist to hold their little fakey fake award show at the end of the season where they try and predict who's going to win the Oscars and then give them other awards Mm -hmm. to A, make the season more boring for the rest of us, and B, let them brag next year about how predictive their awards are. Um, And this year, they decided to sort of do a little spinoff television critics group where they did another award show that I think ended up on television. It was on Reels, I think. Yes. And it also like streamed live online or whatever. And this is, this is, I think, more competitive with the Television Critics Association Awards, which are in August. Yes. Which are of long standing. Yes. And are not broadcast. And are not broadcast. Correct. And this, it's, uh, because it seemed like such sort of a pop-up, uh, Award show that yeah. came out of nowhere. It uh, the cat the winners at least all seemed to sort of split the difference between what the Emmys would do and what you would get if you gave like a fan poll yeah. on an internet site. Yep. And the uh, the results seemed to be like if you did the Tubies, but it was like a real awards <laughs> show. But then the people came to you and like right. dressed up and came up and accepted awards and said thank you right. for basically saying. Margot Martindale, you're great, which is what we did. And Margot Martindale didn't show up to our podcast when we did that. And so all I'm saying is, I've loved Busy Phillips for way longer than Michael Osiello has, probably. And (laughs) just because I don't have the muscle to, whatever, trump up my own little fake award show, doesn't mean that Busy Phillips shouldn't come to me and say thank you for saying I'm the best supporting actress on television. This seems to boil down to, I'm not a crackpot, I just want a hug from Busy Phil. I do, is all, okay? I'm putting this out there right now. People are listening to this podcast. People know other people that know people. (laughs) 
It's true. Let's make the Joe Reed Busy Phillips hug happen. Let's we not make will it send weird. Joe though. out some, if, if, if it's got to happen in I'm LA. not a weird person. I'm no, not a not. weird person. Of course not. I am not a crackpot nor a weird person. <laughs> I can vouch for that. I'm I've just hugged saying, Joe many I times. I shower it every is day. Let's put our collective power and energy together yeah. and make this hug happen. <laughs> Dear Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. Hi, my name's Diane, and my non-crackpot theory is that there needs to be a moratorium, possibly forever, but for at least the next decade, on the mockumentary sitcom format. It's no longer credible, it's no longer original, and it's just time to move on. I can't disagree. Thank you, Eve Best from TV's Nurse Jackie. <laughs> she did sound like that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That say was, Jax. That call was it, short and sweet. Call in again and say something and say Jax. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's really played out. And and especially when it's been pointed out in many articles, like the physics of how they film the office do not make sense. Sure. You know, like, what What are these mockumentaries allegedly for? Well, it's a and, lame frame. And on device. Modern Family, they've really, like, yes. pretty much decided to chuck it out the window and just be like, there's no reason. There's right. no there's yes. nobody behind the camera. Yes. Yeah. It would be really funny is to show, like, a third or a second camera that is like sort of filming from an isometric. Well, that's view. that's the great meta showing, sitcom of our showing time. Showing like Ty Burrell talking into like something that he thinks is right in front of him, but yeah. there isn't. Well, and the comeback uh. came closest to doing that, where the comeback talked about the making of a reality yes. show, show like that. Yes. But the great meta show is going to be where your protagonists are the crew of a yes. mockumentary crew yes. filming. A television show. Like yep. And on The Office, what kind of budget do these documentarians have where they've been following them for six seasons without producing anything? Right. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. <laughs> suspicious, The Office. Suspicious. Well, that was 16. Wow. I am not a crackpot. Thank you, everybody who contributed. Those were so great. Now, everybody take a Valium. <laughs> All right. This wasn't going to happen, but now it has to. Yeah, it does. Guys, do you know what time it is? Yeah, I do. What? It is game time! All right, everybody, this is the last game time of the season, and the standings are Joe 6, Tara 6. Our last minute season finale tiebreaker is called I Am Not a Crackpot. Oh, God. <laughs> I am going to read to you clues about conspiracy movies in the form of an I Am Not a Crackpot opening. Oh, my God. Two points for the correct answer, but you can ask for a clue in the form of extended crackpottiness. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. After which, the correct answer is worth one point. There are only 10 questions in our tiebreaker. Oh, my God. We flipped a coin before the start of the show. Take your time with each answer. Okay. Okay. We did flip a coin before the show started, and Joe is going first. So remember, I am not a crackpot. Mm-hmm. You can ask for a clue. Yep. And you have to give me the property that we're talking about. Yes. Okay? Are, are they ready? Uh, yes? Did you specify, are they from movies and film or just movies? Uh, movies and film? Okay. I mean, movies and TV. <laughs> yes, they're all movies. In okay. Fact. Yes. Sorry. So from the movie. Are not we a, ready I'm to play? I'm not a crackpot. I just don't know the difference between <laughs> movies and films. <laughs> I am not a crackpot. Here we go. Joe, Uh, what is our first one? Number six. Number six. I am not a crackpot, but somebody's stealing the water in our fair city. Uh, Chinatown. Correct. For two points. 
I am not a crackpot, but there's a diamond crazy Nazi war criminal in New York City killing secret US G men. Remember, you can ask for a clue. Clue. Also, my teeth hurt. Oh, I thought it was this the marathon man. Correct for one point. Shit. Joe. I'll take number one. Number one. I am not a crackpot, but Big Tobacco is well aware of how addictive cigarettes are, and they're engineering ways to make them even more addictive. Uh, the Insider. Correct. For two points. Start. Um, seven. Number seven. I am not a crackpot. Honest. You've got the wrong man. There's got to be a better way to see the country than this. Remember. <sighs> Can you repeat that? Crackpot. I am not a crackpot. Honest. You've got the wrong man. There's got to be a better way to see the country than this. I need a hint. Also, there's no landing strip in this cornfield. Vertigo? <laughs> oh, I mm, Joe, do you want to... Do- oh, no, there is no way I can be objective <laughs> in making that call. No, 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 you already buzzed in. Okay. No, it's I, I buzzed fine. in. As, okay. All right. Fine. No point. All right. Uh, two. You're very mature, Tara. Yes. Number what? two. What? Took that one. I'm saying you're very mature <laughs> for not arguing. Things. Maybe I'm finally growing you're up. You're mature. <laughs> I am not a crackpot, but communists have been brainwashing Americans for own nefarious political purposes. Everything? No. Um, <laughs> That's a great guess. Can I hear that one more time? I am not a crackpot, but communists have been brainwashing Americans for their own nefarious political purposes. Um, uh, the Manchurian candidate? Yes! Alright, so uh, what's our uh, scores here? Six to one. Six I have to six. one. Ooh, dear. Alright, Tara. Ten. Number ten. I am not a crackpot, but this break-in goes all the way to the top. All the president's men. Correct. Joe. Uh, four. Number four. I am not a crackpot, but bleh. I am not a crackpot, but Jesus totally did it. Oh, the last temptation of Christ. We didn't let me finish. Oh, that's okay. I thought you were done. That's all right. That's okay. Don't worry about it. But he did do it in that movie. Don't worry about it. Okay. Shit. I am not a crackpot, but Jesus totally did it. And by did it, I mean knew her biblically. And by knew her biblically, I mean he did the nasty and the pasty. <laughs> the last temptation of Christ. No. The Da Vinci Code. Correct. Oh, the Da Vinci Code. That's a more conspiracy movie. That would make more sense. All right. Eight. Number eight. I am not a crackpot, but aliens are brainwashing us with subliminal messages to make us docile. They live? Yeah! Wow, nice. That was they live. Nice. All right, wait. Okay, wait. Hang on a sec here. Into the last pair of questions. What's it? I have six. Five. Five. Six to five. So that means, Joe, you could clinch everything with yeah, a two-pointer here. You could. No pressure. Anyway. No, no pressure. Uh, but here we go. Five. Number five. Shit. No, I that I, I was... Mm. <clears throat> no, I, that was looking at me. I flubbed District it. 9. I can't take anything for granted. I am not a crackpot, but back into the left. <laughs> JFK. Yes! <laughs> Tara has dropped the pen. Let's finish this up, Tara. What's our last question? Three. Number three. I am not a crackpot, but every crackpot theory is true. 
conspiracy theory. Correct. The hint was, don't leave, pretty woman. The meter's still ticking. <laughs> Fuck if I had a Lincoln's Marathon, man. I always thought I would feel this way. How does it feel, Joe? It feels so good, dude. How does it feel, Tara? Are you glad I'm leaving tomorrow for vacation? <laughs> we'll talk about this later. I really. think we should leave Tara alone for a while. Okay. All right, well, congratulations, congratulations Joe. Joe. Thanks, guys. And here's a little something for you. All right, well, that's it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We discovered 16 reasons why you're all not crackpots, ranging from phantom water to persistent closed captioning and anti-racist Hollywood time machines. We finished the game time season with Joe emerging as the victor. And speaking of game time, next week you'll be playing our second game time for the masses. We'd like to thank everybody who submitted their reasons why yeah, they are not you. a crackpot. We are definitely going to do this again, I think. Yes. Yeah, yes. Oh, yes. All right. Comment on the crackpots on our site, Facebook, or Twitter, and submit your own crackpot theories, canon submissions, or other audio delights to us. Everything you need to know is on our site at extrahotgreat.com. Remember, we're listening. I am David T. Cole on behalf of Tara Ariano. Congratulations, Joe. And Joe Reed. Warmly accepted. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you right here next week on Extra Hot Great. I needed a new heel for my shoe. So I decided to go to Morganville, which is what they call Shelbyville in those days. So I tied an onion to my belt, which was the style at the time. Now, to take the ferry cost a nickel. And in those days, Nichols had pictures of bumblebees on them. Give me five bees for a quarter, you'd say. Now, where were we? Oh, yeah. The important thing was that I had an onion on my belt, which was a style at the time. They didn't have white onions because of the war. The only thing...